In August 2013, 42 to Doomsday was launched on an unsuspecting Doctor Who fandom with all the subtlety of an avalanche. Capaldi was in the wind, and the Indiana Jones of missing episodes was about to drop a bomb on our unsuspecting heads. In those days, we had stars in our eyes and hope in our hearts. Welcome to 42 to Doomsday, the newest podcast in the Doctor Who firmament. My name's Robert. And I'm Mark. Peter Capaldi. What was your reaction? Oh, look, I was stoked, actually. My reaction was like what former producer John Ethan Turner used to say, I'm delighted. But as the years rolled on, while we retained a lots of hope, sometimes we turned to the dark side. Just tell a story. Let's have an adventure, Stephen. None of the pieces fit. Can you sense that I'm slightly frustrated, Mark? You can't tell me, in the UK TV industry at the moment, and there's a lot of good stuff being produced, that they did not look and really sort of cast a net further. Look at getting a showrunner who has got no baggage with the program whatsoever and could do something different with it, as opposed to trying to reheat a souffle. Yeah, I'd give it about a 7 out of 10 as well. That's um, that's very fair, Rob. What mark would you give it, Mark? That's right. They've all been shit. A nationwide poll of our seven followers on Parlour comprehensively demonstrates that the 42 to Doomsday podcast is a 100% effective cure for COVID-19. Over hydroxychloroquine and bleach and injecting UV radiation under your skin. With that, how can you not trust anything we say? I'm Rob. I'm Mark. I'm Dave. I'm Richard. We're broadcasting almost live from our sunny retreat next to a dildo shop as hair dye drips down our faces to help you celebrate Christmas as you contemplate shoving little Timmy in the oven in lieu of roast pork. Buckle up, praise Jesus, and pass the mint sauce because this is the 42 to Doomsday Christmas special. Despite the vagaries of life over the last 10 years, be it election insurrections, global pandemics, or Australian wicket keepers doing the dirty on unsuspecting English batsmen in 2023, we are still going strong. Infrequent, yes. Inquisitive, absolutely, but never ignoramuses. As we venture into our second decade of bestriding the podcasting firmament like Colossi, we will do what we've always done. Bring you our unfettered views and imperfect memories of Doctor Who, what's and all. Combining all that with an overwhelming, always safe, sex appeal and irreverence. All the while denouncing Patreon for the work of the devil that it is. For we are not men, we are 52 to Doomsday! That's right, gangsters. Happy birthday to us. Hello, Rob. How are you? I am 10 years older than what I was last August 2013, Mark. It's shocking, yes. isn't it? Yes, time has marched on. Are we actually renaming the podcast? <laughs> no, it involves effort on both our parts. And <laughs> oh, frankly, no. we're lucky to get something out these days, but it's not happening. How are you going, buddy? Good? How's the uh, Pineapple Cruisers tonight? I'm actually in the house tonight, so the Pineapple Cruisers are in a different fridge uh, in the garage. So uh, I'm not leaving the comfort and, frankly, warmth of my office to... Uh, to go outside, but all good. I've actually been joined by one of our dogs. Hello, Hazel. Would you like to say something to the microphone? 
Clearly not. I'm well. And how have you been, Mark? Been good. I'm really looking forward to uh, your progress report and how you're going through with the Doomsday multimedia extravaganza. Do you want to give us your uh, unfettered views on that, Rob? Real sensation, Mark. It's absolutely sensational. No, I, I have, other than looking at people complaining about it, spent <laughs> absolutely zero amount of time and effort following uh, Doomsday. Never has there been a Doctor Who project more aptly titled than uh, Doomsday. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know that the execution, you know, is great. And the poor uh, person who is heading it, there was recently, I think yesterday, Big Finish released their a cover to their, you know, their uh, their audio uh, oh, yes. uh, involvement in this. And it's a photoshopping frenzy. What the hell, Paul McGann? When he signed his, the rights of his image away to Big Finish, did he ever expect it to be... You know, used in that particular manner. <laughs> it looked absolutely awful. It looked like it's an 8-bit resolution of his head chucked on a uh, suit of armour. And then Doomsday is supposed to be the most toughest, lethalist, fatalist assassin ever. And yeah. she's just seen the Barbie movie. <laughs> she's excited. She's happy and everything like that. Two things. I apologise for forgetting her name. And the other thing is I feel really sorry for her because she's absolutely been pounded uh, on social media, which is obviously not... Uh, not necessarily what most fans necessarily would be thinking, but, I mean, the most vocal fans go on social media and vent their spleen. And she's copped a hiding, which is unfair to her, I suppose, because, you know, she signed on to something and I would have thought that it would have been or looked at least good, but I don't know. It doesn't, From what I've heard, it's not great, but, you know, what can we do? We just sit back and, and, and look, don't we, Mark? Yeah, we just uh, watch the car wreck and uh, just keep driving along, don't we, really? <laughs> well, we did say that we give our unfettered opinions, so, you know. Yes. I did start listening to that second uh, instalment of the 60th anniversary Big Finish, what the hell it was called. Um, that, it made that much of an impression to the mark. I can't even remember what the hell it was about. I just stopped listening to it. It was terrible. What else is going on Doctor Who Newsland? Nothing much, is there really? Um, well, um, very close now to the anniversary. So it's it's the beginning of uh, August as we record this. Mm. And uh, we're, what, two, three months away? Three months away. Four months away, really. Surely there's got to be a bit of build-up happening sometime. Surely. Well, Oh, they're keeping their powder dry, uh, Mark, I suppose. Mm. Um, though you will recall in the 50th anniversary year, there, there were things happening during the year, were there? Or little trailers yeah. here and there? Or was there a bit of a gulf? Uh, I think there was a bit year? of a gulf because I do remember... Um, Happily filled uh, by the Omni Rumor, no doubt. I was, probably. I do remember I was complaining, it might surprise you, about the... Uh, the lack of uh, anything happening between, uh, I think it was June and, and August or something like that, and all of a sudden a flurry of activity happened where it was conventions being announced and docudramas and all sorts of stuff. Getting your passport yeah. ready to fly out to the Excel convention, Mark. You were I there. Did. You touched the great yeah. and good. You were rubbed up I against them. Got 10 years ago. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, as far as I'm aware, Mark, other than Doomsday falling limply to the floor and not doing much, uh, the doesn't appear to be much going on. I mean, I'm sure filming has, has stopped at some point for Doctor Who, the new series, and Shruti Gatwar is not allowed by the, uh, you know, uh, to, to actually do anything about it because of the strike in Hollywood, but it's <laughs> taken the world by storm, Barty. Uh, yes, apparently he says, like, two lines and that's it, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's what I've heard as well. But, um, mm. yeah, okay. While well, we're talking about Barty, no, have you seen it, Mark? <laughs> no, I haven't. I saw Oppenheimer. Oh, uh, good. I really enjoyed it. Really well scripted. You actually forget what a good actor Robert Downey Jr. is when he's not encased in that bloody Iron Man costume. Yeah, or on the or uh, on the bruise. And whatever else. Yeah, it was yeah, a really yeah. good film, actually. Three hours just toddled by, and I went and saw it one of those cinemas where it's got a very large screen and great sound yeah, and nice. uh, very, well, very done well done. Have you And yeah. have you actually seen any classic Doctor Who, Mark? Have you been watching anything? No. 
But okay. we will be for our upcoming episode, won't we? Ooh, ooh, good segue, Mark. Go ahead. I'm not telling anybody until next month. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, no, keep them on tenterhooks. Keep them waiting for no, So basically, uh, I was reviewing a couple of weeks ago our uh, lack of Apple reviews, but there was a new one. And one person did on there that, I'll paraphrase it, it's an okay podcast, but the guys are obsessed with the 80s. And can you please talk about Tom Baker and John Pertwee? Actually, it's probably a fairly good point. Next episode, we're going to do something Tom Baker, 70s. Just going to look at something along those lines. Give the fans and the listeners what they want, Mark. Hopefully it will work out all right. So, yes, I'm going to uh, strap myself in and watch a whole slab of classic who's. Yeah, I haven't watched Doctor Who in ages. I don't know what it is, really. What sort of podcasting fan are you, Mark? A pretty bad one at the moment. We're lucky to get the bloody podcast out the way things are going these days. <laughs> we'll do that next month, October, November. We're going to do a another two-part uh, drag from the archives, looking back at the anniversary year of 1983. Ooh. So we're going to be trawling through the DWB, CT, and whatever else we can uh, dig up, bring you some of the highlights from that anniversary year. Mark, is it really 40 years since the 20th anniversary? I've just, yeah. It's just struck me like a baseball bat to the face. That's yeah. shocking. Unbelievable, isn't it? And, of course, the Blu-ray set's coming out in September as well. So in Australia, will be out next year at $190. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you seen? Is it the season nine box set that's avail- going to be available locally? 125 Australian dollars. That's 60 of your British pounds. Mm. That's, that's amazing. I'm going to actually have to break and enter, I think, somewhere. <laughs> I was going to say, sell the other kidney. Uh, well, I can urinate blood, can't I, mate? It's all right. It's fine. I don't need two. Chains these days. Surely you can just sit there and uh, edit a podcast while you're on dialysis. Uh, Deary me. So, Mark, we've been doing this for 10 years on and off, haven't we? Yes. We even had our own hiatus, which, looking back, was pretty brief, to be honest. (laughs) Because the pandemic happened and I was unemployed and bored. Uh, yeah. yes. We're going to be indulgent before we sort of segue into our actual episode, which is the second part of the um, VHS years. Thank you very much for the lovely correspondence on Twitter from people saying how much they enjoyed part one. We enjoyed putting it together. We hope you enjoy the second instalment just as much. Indeed. Mm. So, Mark, I recall me and mm. you, you and mm. I, to be grammatically correct, sitting mm. in a, I think it was a cafe. It was a cafe in Burke Street. And no doubt the pandemic killed it, uh, the business. Um <laughs> Were we locked down forever, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) That's three years ago now. Are we still locked down? I can't remember Uh, anymore. In Victoria, I think mentally we still are locked down from it. Like people are still scared to leave their homes. (laughs) Uh, Mainly because every time we turn around, there's a new tax. (laughs) Can't comment on that. Can't say anything uh... about that. Yes. We sat down and we, we uh, sketched out sort of the plans and, uh, mm. you know, we arranged buying microphones. One, I still have the same microphone, actually. I'm holding it in my little hot hand here. What have been the highlights, Mark? Plenty of highlights, really. Mm. Obviously, starting the podcast and you know, starting it from scratch, sort of travelling overseas and a bit of word of mouth. And the great thing is also there's a great podcasting community in Australia and uh, the UK. We've got friends everywhere, you know, chat to and made some really good friendships overseas. I've never met half of the buggers. but yeah, obviously Likely never we, will, but, you know. That's well, you never know. Is. I did meet Stephen B last month actually new to who podcast because i was in singapore with work so we caught up and had a few hundred bevies but he's from sydney isn't he yeah actually doing some work in singapore so hello Stephen. i had to go to singapore to meet someone from sydney well what a world we live in mate (laughs) but look great podcasting community all around the world i've always had this dream of doing radio when i was young and uh, unfortunately like many life choices never happened Mm. uh so this is a as an outlet really to do a bit of crazy r sound effects and uh, having a chat about doctor who with a mate so that was you and the odd thing is 
that mm. we really didn't move in the same social circles at all before a year or two before that. No, I knew Richard and Dave from the Doctor Who Club. So I sort of I knew Dave 1988, I think, and Richard was about 92, 93. Okay. So yep. drifted in and out with those guys a little bit, you know, Doctor Who wise. And then I think we're on an email chain somewhere. And, and then you mentioned I wouldn't mind starting to do a podcast. And I think mm. I responded to you privately and said, let's give it a go. And um, here we are. Yeah, dragged our mates into it as well. And Richard and Dave and They've mm. gone off and done other things as well, the Doctor Who show and Baseball Blake 7 podcast and the goodies and it's been really good fun. It has been a lot of fun. So mm. what would you say your top three highlights from doing the podcast, mate, would be? Oh, interviewing guests that we've never met. We actually um, interviewed people who are involved in the show like Andrew Smith. I mean, yes, I, I remember being absolutely terrified. Throw man sweating bullets just before speaking to Andrew Smith. Not that you could tell listening back or not that I could tell anyway maybe other people could detect the certain tremble in my voice but doing that was a lot of fun you know richard marzen andrew smith david j howe a lot of fun and you know the, the good thing about people like that was that their enthusiasm i think shone through i used to say you know after we'd finish that they all those fellows uh, and, and every everyone basically could talk for england they you know you mm. just ask them a question and they're off to the races and you just sit back and go okay <laughs> you're just doing all the hard work for me and i just you know, you just insert yourself with a couple of questions and guide them along. And it's just, I had a really good time doing something that ordinarily I would, you know, run a thousand miles away from. It's been great. I'm a better interviewer now, I think, definitely when we first started. So in terms of those skills, I've had a job where I've had to do a lot of recruiting and interviewing people now compared to when I first started doing that role many years ago to what it is now. Like I can go into interviews and I'm fairly relaxed now. It's definitely given me a bit more confidence in terms of putting myself out there. Yeah. At the end of the day, we just do it our way and we have fun doing it when we can be bothered doing it. I remember we started <laughs> off every two weeks. What were we thinking? We were madness. I think there was a point though it did start to become a little bit of a chore for me and that's when I decided to take mm. that little bit of a break. Yeah. Um, I just think everything was just getting a little bit too much. So yeah. I sort of took no, a break. That's fair. That's fair. I sort of realised that I was, you know, sequestering myself in, in the office every fortnight for a couple of hours, leaving my, my wife to handle the kids and it just dawned on me that, Maybe that's a tad selfish, you know. But um, pandemic came along and we had nothing else to do other than look at the walls. So uh, <laughs> it did help. But but yeah. in terms of interview ease, one of my highlights has to be uh, Professor Jason Bainbridge from earlier oh, yes. this year. Yes. I mean, aside from the topic itself, which we're still keeping an eye on that, folks. So when we've got something to report, we'll we'll come back to you on that. Wonderful to actually speak to someone locally. Mm. Uh, who was extremely knowledgeable on their area of uh, expertise. Again, he was one of those people who could, you know, you ask him a few questions and he's, he's off to the races and, you know, you just sort of sit back and bask in his, his intelligence and uh, and erudition. So that was definitely a highlight for me. What about favourite episodes? Can you remember any that particularly resonate? I know we sort of uh, made our name doing a lot of missing episodes podcasts or missing episode related podcasts. And I about a year ago, I, I went back and listened to a few of them. Those ones were interesting because we, there was a lot of speculation that some of it panned out and a lot of it didn't. But that, <laughs> but they were always fun because I've always been intrigued and, and fascinated, if, as if you couldn't tell, about missing episodes. So it was always good to talk to yourself, who's sort of more plugged in than me and was able to provide me with some a backdrop on, on some of what was going on. But in terms of the podcasts or the episodes that I particularly enjoyed, all the Christmas ones that we've done with uh, Richard and and, uh, and David have, have always been fun. And anyone that can be, you know, bothered to go back, you'll, you'll hear my introductions become even <laughs> you know, just more and more extravagant <laughs> as this year's roll on. And one of them about uh, coming down the birth canal. Uh, <laughs> 
Look, I just sit there and it's just a stream of consciousness thing, just typing it up and then just ranting and reading it out. So, I mean, people will sit back and go, you know, that Rob, he's mentally unhinged. And you're not wrong. (laughs) Actually, speaking of mentally unhinged, because we moved over to Podbean a few months ago, there's a a function on there where people can leave comments on the episode. And there's one chap called MJ Fowles Mm. who has basically found the podcast and has gone through every one of them. And 13 days ago, he posted this. He goes, well, that's it. I'm all caught up. Having only discovered your podcast a few months back, I have listened to each and every one of them, barring the Blake 7 one, as I've never seen the show yet. Very enjoyable hearing you both wax lyrical about the show that is so dear to our hearts. This episode was a great one to end on so far, and it was fascinating to hear more about the Great Horde. Been interesting for years to come. Cheers, guys. Congratulations to you, sir. You've done the long journey that I don't think I'd ever want to go back and listen to a lot of them. Actually, there's one episode I love that was Top 5 Doctors and other roles oh yes it was you richard and dave doing that one and uh, i'd send some correspondence in that it was a really good podcast that was yeah one of my favorites and i wasn't on it mark's number one mark's number one he goes with uh tom baker the lives and loves oh. of the sheeta oh. <laughs> <laughs> and i'll read what mark has written out and then we can chat about it if we want to and i quote I do have very fond memories, fond memories, okay? Fond memories. I do have very fond memories watching the series back. The thing is, even if you turn the vision off, it's just scary from the soundtrack. But go on, but go on. (laughs) To this day, I still can't get the image of Uncle Tom on the job, as it were, as well as the associated sound effects they applied to the scenes. Despite many years of counselling, I still can't get it out of my mind's eye. (laughs) I've not seen the lives and loves of a she-devil. If the criteria is the most memorable performance, that is an absolute unquestionable number one. Having Rob Lloyd on uh, has always been a highlight for me. I mean, obviously, uh, an amusing gentleman has thought long and hard about a lot of things related to the show. Uh, and he's obviously got that background in working in, you know, theatre uh, on stage. So he, he's got that sort of actors or performance perspective, which I value highly. I mean, I'm just a person with an opinion, but he's actually a person with knowledge and, and skills in, 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 in that field. So it's always good to have Rob on. My all-time overrated Doctor Who story is the 10th Doctor classic definitive story, Human nature. Oh, oh, get out of town! <laughs> really? I'm there going. Which do I put as number one or number two? Or something? You'll drive poor Cornell back to drink. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. From what we can see and from what I've heard, he didn't have much to do with the writing of the actual story. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. So you want to read poor Cornell's uh, Human Nature? Go get the book. Yeah, get the book. It's the start of the excess of Tennant playing up his pretty boy role of the Doctor and they're playing up this whole romantic view of him. It's such a cop-out. The the reason why the Doctor ran away was because, you know, he was being kind is an absolute cop-out. The fear that he has at the start of that episode of why he's running away from the family is 
palpable. It is an incredible start. It is a beautiful start to this two-part story, and you are immediately hooked in. And then for it all to just go, he was doing it to be kind, is such a cop-out and pretty much just ignores everything that's happened in that two-part story. My number one is The Day of the Doctor. Why don't you... You're just about to do the equivalent of drowning kittens. What are you doing? <laughs> Definitely, we will have him on in the future. Just harking back to our, our, our listener who's, who's embarked on his own 42 to Doomsday journey, that's the other highlight of doing this. The amount of engagement that we get from our, our listeners, you know, obviously social media or, or, or email, uh, and their willingness to, you know, write out their thoughts and send it into us. It's, you know, at the start, I don't know that we had any particular thoughts of building a, an audience. Um, but you know, we obviously connected in some regard uh, with 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 lots and lots of listeners, uh, and we you know we get we get steady download figures. I mean, it's not you know it's not we're not is it Joe Rogan? We're not Joe Rogan by any <laughs> by any uh, imagination, but it's clearly not. It, it's great to have heard from so many people over so many years, mm. and there you know there are people who are frequent flyers. They they, they always listen. They always you know make a, a contribution. Um, we saw that with the first part of the uh, the VHS tapes. Uh, or era uh, podcast where we just had you know a couple of dozen uh, tweets and uh, or X's now Mark tweets and uh, not with that X thing what's that X marks a spot what's he on about let's not go there okay let's oh. just let's go past that particular piece of roadkill do you want a joke is it Doctor Who related no what's Elon Musk's favorite song I don't know Mark what is Elon Musk's favorite song I want your X <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> Maybe we should join a Donald Trump on. What's it called? <laughs> what are you Truth. doing? Truth <laughs> They're banning me at work with these dad jokes. I just tell you, they've all had enough. <laughs> uh, it's actually funny. We've got Microsoft Teams because, uh, you know, we everyone's working from home a few days a week. Yeah. So we're messaging each other. I, I'm the resident prankster. Um, there was a... There was a, unfortunately there was a stabbing in the in the suburb that I work in yesterday. Someone went, went crazy with a pen, and I said uh, on my afternoon break, "I'm going to the supermarket. If I if I if I end up getting stabbed, it was great working with you." <laughs> and then twenty oh, seconds sorry. later, I said, "Like hell, it was." <laughs> That's terrible. Have you got a background image on your on your teams? Absolutely not. No way. Oh, okay. I've got one. It's the scream. <laughs> so, I, so I, basically, I just tilt my head and they see the scream, and I put my head back in a shot and just do the same expression. That's me every day at the moment. The scream. I'm, I'm glad our listeners had this opportunity for just a peek inside our seemingly insane minds. <laughs> I'd take my hat off and, and give a heartfelt thanks to all our listeners who have contributed over the years. They don't have to do it, but the fact that they do uh, and they do it in, in amusing. And considered ways is, uh, I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you for that. And without further ado, let's go into part two. So, Mark, we now uh, look at DWB 104 for August 1992. And just as an aside, I've uh, remembered that at this point in DWB's history, it had never been better in terms of production value of the magazine itself, colour photography or colour photos or colour covers at the very least. Um, it was really entering a really you know, excellent phase. 
that sadly they all basically pissed up against the wall as soon as they transitioned to DreamWatch. I never really understood. But anyway, a sad day when DreamWatch came out, to be frank. Now, the title of this particular article that you've selected, Mark, is Fans Slam BBC Video Over Excessive Specials. Fans just want st- stories, Mark. They don't want specials, by the sounds of it. Now, it begins last month's coverage in DWB of the proposed lineup of Doctor Who releases in 1993 has provoked one of the most vociferous mailbags ever with fans unanimously against the ever-increasing ways BBC Enterprises and J&T a finding of extracting cash from the once gullible fan. I would say if the fan are now no longer gullible, they're not going to be handing over money unless they really, really want to. But anyway, as next issue's letter pages will suggest, an element of cunning and greed on Enterprises' part appears to be the sole motive behind next year's provisional lineup of era tapes for the Davison, Colin Baker and McCoy Doctors, a 30th anniversary special which will be produced with the skimpiest of budgets and a series of partially incomplete stories such as The Reign of Terror, The Tenth Planet and The Invasion, with actors narrating the missing episodes. As reader Alan Hayes observes, incomplete stories pieced together by appropriate celebrity narrators is a nice idea, but when read in conjunction with the announcement of Enterprises hunting down missing episodes, I get the strong feeling that they have realised that if they release incomplete material as soon as possible, they can re-release it if and when material turns up. David May points out that surely there is no great demand of these stories at the moment, so why not keep them back for a few years in the hope that the missing episodes turn up? Uh, Mark, this sounds a lot like some of the rumours you keep on hearing about the Blu-ray releases the, uh, this year. What does it say? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes? Uh, it rhymes particularly close to what has gone in the past. Hmm. Maxwell Rowan calls the idea nothing short of disgusting, especially as the Beeb is supposed to have set up their missing episodes office. What if these episodes do turn up and the fans have stumped up £12 plus on an incomplete video? Of the year's tapes, Christopher Wood says the previous three were bad enough. Heaven knows what to expect with the Davison, Baker and McCoy tapes, while Neil Andrew lays the blame for the decision squarely at John Nathan Turner's door by suggesting that it is blatantly obvious that J&T is totally in control of all Who tapes and that the preference-based list is non-existent in his eyes, as does DG Threefall, who comments, Too much power has been given to J&T, allowing him to keep a foothold in Doctor Who, and feels that all special releases should be suspended while BBC Enterprises attempts a worldwide purge, mm, wrong word, son, <laughs> to find lost Doctor Who episodes. The purge is what got us in this uh, problem in the first place, isn't it? What do you make of all that, Mark? I remember there's a lot of criticism, not only in you know, DWB and other magazines as well. Look, that list, those stories he selected, they weren't the best. Let's be honest with you, the invasion, I was really glad when it came out, but I mean, the, the linking material on those were just rubbish, terribly put together. Was it the Reign of Terror they did on VHS? They sort of got JNT's links and they sort of massaged them a bit more with some, I don't know, <laughs> clips and bits and pieces. From my perspective, it's just to keep them in a job. But I had to laugh that well, the episodes turn up and the fans have stumped up £12 plus on, on an incomplete video. Guess what, mate? We all buy them again, like we have been doing for ever since. Fans who bought the Enemy of the Other World novelization also bought the Enemy of the World audio book, who then bought Enemy of the World on uh, DVD when it was released, and no doubt will buy it on Blu-ray when it comes out again. Now, this particular article concludes uh, rather lengthily. Having been subjected to and stung by such devious ploys as the double tape releases and skimpily produced years tapes in the past, it at last appears that the fans are waking up and agreeing in unison that they will no longer tolerate such mercenary tactics. BBC Video could still make healthy profits by respecting us as consumers instead of appearing to dupe us all the time. The folly behind releasing incomplete stories with linking narration is outlined above, and clearly should not be contemplated until every last complete story is made available. Then... 
And only then will the idea have some impetus. And projects like the years tapes and anniversary tapes should not even be considered unless an equal amount of thought goes into the quality of the between episode clips slash production sequences. To date, the year's tapes have been produced on a shoestring budget, and it shows. But while a well-written and intelligent script would provide some compensation for your £12.99, they have been written in an almost condescending and irritatingly depthless manner. All the more infuriating considering that only the fans, by and large, are buying them anyway, and not the general public to whom they would be more appropriate. It is no coincidence that the scripts are written by John Nathan Turner, who also suggests the ideas for special releases. It is also no coincidence that JNT produces all the linking footage for the specials and is paid to do so, considerably more than he is paid to suggest titles for the conventional range of story releases. Clearly, he knows how to feather his own nest, but at whose expense? And at the same time, whose interests does he really have at heart? His or Doctor Who's? If the latter then why wasn't he delighted on hearing the news that the demons was to be colorized instead of reportedly being furious that Ian Levine had gone over my head in putting the idea into motion? The release of Sharda is proof that when he puts his mind to it, JNT can come up with the goods. Many, yes, including Ian Levine, have sung his praises, noting the painstaking research undertaken to make a truly complete and worthwhile venture. But unless this can be maintained and all future specials produced to a similar quality then BBC Video should seriously question the wave of disinterest sweeping fandom over such releases. So a bit of context here. So there were several um, special releases planned for the anniversary year. So we had The Invasion, The Reign of Terror with Carol Ann Ford narrating, The Tenth Planet with narration by Michael Craze for episode four. JNT also uh, had a BBC documentary uh, pack, which had Who's Doctor Who on it and Resistance is Useless. Davison years, obviously Colin Baker years and McCoy years. Obviously Colin Baker years was filmed. Basically when JNT... JNT departed from BBC Video. The Davison years and McCoy years were cancelled. However, um, the Colin Baker years came out a little bit later, which we will uh, get to at uh, some point. Not very inspiring list, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, for the 30th anniversary year. And especially he was going to do a, a 30th anniversary double pack consisting of clips and interviews. I suppose <laughs> in one regard, yeah, I was going to say that they're, they're probably cheaper to make. I mean, in terms of you know having to pay cast and script and all that sort of thing, that, that sort mm-hmm. of... Uh, only for appearances in the clips, I suppose, and no script writers, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it is interesting. Have you actually seen Who's Doctor Who, the doco from 77? Yeah. I don't think I have. Is it any good? It's for its age. It's very good. I mean, the, the main takeaway about it was obviously had a, a small segment of uh, Galaxy 4 on it. On the season 14 Blu-ray, they've got like a Who's Doctor Who revisited sort of thing, which is actually uh, uh, to find some of the original interviewees and go through all that. And uh, yeah, it's actually quite a good little doco on it. But in terms of the actual Who's Doctor Who, it's, it's okay, but it's of its time, obviously. It's some nice behind the scenes footage of Talons, but it's on the season 14 box set if you want to uh, have a look-see. Maybe when I retire in 15 years, mate, we'll see. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> so speaking of retirement, uh, DWB 107 from November 1992. God, the 90s are rushing uh, very fast in front of us. Earthshock outsells Baker years. Video backlash begins. Pressure on BBC Video to abandon its ill-fated schedule of special releases for 1993 has been spurred by the performance of the two most recent Who tapes Earthshock and Tom Baker years. The former debuted in the official Gallup chart as num- at number three and held its position 
within the top 30 for a further two weeks, falling to 13 and 30 respectively. While the latter made a brief appearance at number eight and then plummeted out of the chart altogether, akin to the poor performance of its predecessor, the Pertwee years earlier this year. Letters to DWB have in the main praised the content of the Tom Baker years tape, many citing it as one of the best special tapes to date, but almost have been heavily critical of its price, £19.99 or 21 quid in some chain stores. Wow. That's a bit of coin, actually, but those two tape packs for that. That's like a car, isn't it, back then? It was, actually. DWB is not alone in being deluged with complaints from readers about next year's planned releases. TV Zone, DWM and DWAS have been similarly swamped with unanimous condemnation of the list, and readers of all magazines are strongly advised to write directly to David Jackson and Penny Mills at BBC Video, BBC Enterprises Wood Lane, 80 Wood Lane, London W12 OTT to voice their complaints and to register whether or not you will be purchasing the tapes. It has been reported that John Nathan Turner, who produces the special releases, is keenly supported and highly praised by Penny Mills, and that he receives a royalty from sales of the tapes rather than a one-off payment. Next year sees the release of at least eight special tapes, many of them double packs. Judging by the way the tide is turning, BBC Video may ultimately find fewer takers as the fans start to vote with their pockets. So basically the backlash begins. Look, everyone knows that DWB at this stage had a vendetta against j and I mean, it was there from the very beginning of the magazine or the fanzine's history up until, you know, the latter stages of its existence. Um, and I think any stick with which to beat him for a variety of sins, both real and imagined, would be grabbed. The special uh, VHSs is just another one. Mm. I mean, I can see why people would be leery of buying them because they are bits and pieces effectively. But there is, I think, value in them. I mean, it's not every day that you get to sit down effectively uh, or nearly anyway with, say, Tom Baker while he misremembers most of his era on your television screen. There, there is certain value in that in, in seeing how our uh, a lead actor, you know, views his time on the show with the perspective of, you know, five or 10 or 15 years, you know. And again, if you are hankering for complete stories, then having the run of, you know, releases interrupted by specials or incomplete stories would really annoy you. And if, you know, if you're living on a budget, I mean, a lot of a lot of fans, I suppose, would have been university students or in their early 20s, you know, a, a 12 or 13 pound commitment each month or or even up to 22 pounds, as, as you indicated earlier. I know these days it's not a huge amount, but I mean, at that time, it might be the difference between having a decent meal or not just yeah. for a TV show. So I can yeah. see I can see both sides, but DWB definitely has a vendetta. So yeah. that has to all to be taken into account. I mean, with the Tom Baker years, I mean, the concept was great, but just some of the clips he chose were just really bizarre. You know, like Genesis of the Daleks didn't even feature Davros. I think it's just the first scene with the Time Lord. Some of the selection was really bizarre, but the actual concept was quite good. In Australia, they released the Tom Baker years on one tape, not two tapes. So I think it was like $29.99. In terms of those specials, it's probably one of the, the better ones, but the bar is pretty low. Yes. Yeah. You just follow the formula. When you've got nothing else to do, when the BBC won't actually you know, uh, use you in the, the capacity that you're meant to be used, mm. um, it's a bit hard, isn't it? I mean, you've got to earn a crust somehow. So, Rob, we approach December 1992. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, DWB 108, and I've reserved this article for you because I know this really resonates with you. It brings back happy memories. So over to you, sir. Many happy memories. And it begins, 10th Planet 4 returned. Yeah. BBC planned February video release. That was a great time, Mark. You know, you could sit it down was. and watch that Planet 4. Yeah. Um, clearly not. But <laughs> did you remember getting the DWM with a little paper insert that talked about this? Yes. There was like a stop press or something like that, yes, wasn't there? Yes. yes. Someone yeah. had to print that up, cut it out, and then insert mm. it into each individual issue. Yeah. 
Yeah, very strange. All right, strange days. It begins. A version of the 10th Planet 4, the most sought-after missing episode, has been retrieved by Adam Lee of BBC Archives from a current BBC employee. Rumours about the episode existing have been circulating for many years now, ever since the episode was loaned to Blue Peter in 1973. Pressure is believed to have been put on the employee to return the episode. Just as an aside, Mark, Hmm. if any of this had been true... Do you think a collector of that nature would give in to pressure? No. Four nerdy types of glasses saying, give it back. It wouldn't mm. inspire me to hand them over. A wood full of cash, probably, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Just keeping in mind that this is all bunkum. All four episodes of The Tenth Planet were handed to Lee on two one-hour reels of early home videotape used mainly in the 60s and early 70s. These tapes can only be viewed on a shitterband machine few of which are still in existence, and the reels are currently being held by Steve Bryant at the National Film Library, who possesses such a machine. The NFL hopes to confirm the clarity of the episode around the time this issue goes to press, but the tapes were not able to be viewed until November 10th. So it's not a question of hold the presses, Mark. It's print and be damned. It's like the Ian Levine article. Remember that one in DWM where he said he found, was it Enemy of the World Part 6 in Taiwan with those other separate yes. episodes? Yeah. Yes. Just basically, I'd love to get yeah. to the bottom of that particular story mm. one day. Ian, mm. come on to the show, mate. And happy birthday to Ian Levine, who turned 70 recently. God love him. And please unblock me on Twitter. The tapes are not original master tapes, but on the same format as eight episodes of Steptoe and Son, which were recently returned to the BBC. These were originally run off by an engineer from the two-inch master tapes of the 1970 season for the writers Galton and Simpson. Three of these episodes were painstakingly restored frame by frame. Do video recordings have frames, Mark? I think it's just an electronic signal. But anyway, we're mixing our metaphors, aren't we? Uh, Restored frame by frame for the recent BBC video release under the collective title of A Winter's Tale. However, it remains to be seen what the quality of the 10th Planet 4 will be like and whether it will be suitable to release complete on BBC video. Hopefully, it will have been professionally copied with a flying spot machine which evokes all sorts of images in my head. Uh, In which case, the picture quality would, whilst not being up to normal broadcast standards, be acceptable. Alternatively, it could have been copied by the primitive technique of pointing a camera at a screen and would therefore be virtually unwatchable. I've long argued, Mark, that if a dirty copy of Dalek's Master Plan 12 turned up on grainy footage on YouTube, the BBC (laughs) would... The BBC would collectively fall over itself pointing their iPhone 12 at the screen and recording it <laughs> and then bunging that up onto a streaming service ASAP. And you release Daleks the early years. Oh, they probably would bless them. You they, know they, they wouldn't care. They, and, you know, to be honest, we wouldn't care either. Have you checked Apple? Apple TV? They've, they've been uh, publishing lists of uh, supposed episodes, uh, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yes. People mm. will swallow anything these days, won't they? Mm. That at the time of going to press, no one has been able to view the tapes and confirm <laughs> even that they contain the Death Planet, much less the picture quality. <laughs> I mean, for the love of God, what are, this, is, this is the opening article in the, <laughs> on the magazine. <laughs> it's been found, but we, we don't know what's on the tapes. Uh, Schrodinger's Tenth Planet 4. It's uh, either alive or it doesn't exist at all. However, it does seem likely that the long-awaited Hartnell finale is now complete and that the rumours were true all along. Confirmation from the NFL's engineers is expected within days. We'll stop printing stuff beforehand. All this does now shed doubt on BBC Video's proposed schedule of Doctor Who releases for 1993. It has been reported that links had already been recorded for a release of the 10th Planet 1 to 3, with narration covering the then-missing 4. BBC Video have indicated that if Episode 4 is remotely watchable, then the patchwork release will be hurriedly replaced with a complete version for possible release in February. Some fans have taken the fact that the BBC are obtaining clearances for a video release as definite confirmation of the episode's existence. 
Sounds like the Omni rumor. But mm. even they have not seen it as of November the 9th. It is also rumoured that the four-part tape of what remains of the Reign of Terror may be pulled due to an unfavourable advance reaction from fans. January's release of Silver Nemesis will contain an additional 10 minutes or so of previously unseen footage. And wrapping this up almost nearly quite there, Eric Sayward has now signed a contract to allow a resurrection of the Daleks to be released by BBC Video next year. And now, Mark, yeah. the absolute kicker. Mm-hmm. After spending the last five and a half minutes getting <laughs> that out, at the very bottom of it, it says... Stop press. The tape labelled 10th Planet 4 was viewed by NFL engineers on November 10th. Unfortunately, it did not contain the claimed episode, and we must sadly conclude that this was either an honest mix-up of tapes or an elaborate hoax. Yes. How about writing an article about the hoax instead? Mm, I wish I could get my hands on him. It was an elaborate hoax by um, Roger K. Barrett, wasn't it? Not Sid. It was uh, Roger. (laughs) Yes. We know all about hoaxes in fandom, don't we, Mark? And plenty of them, sadly. sadly. None perpetrated by us, Rob. You only get the true facts from us, Mark. True mm. facts. Like this one. <laughs> from DWB 109, January 1993. Happy New Year, Rob. Happy New uh, Year. 19, oh, 1993. Yeah. 30 years ago. I know. It's shocking, isn't it? Look, the New Year hasn't started well for BBC Video because it says disastrous sales for Mordrin and Aztecs. The BBC are rush releasing the demons on 4th of January to follow on from the current BBC to repeat and benefit from the resultant publicity. The demons will replace the extended silver nemesis, uh, which is now scheduled for uh, February the 8th. Paul Holland, the marketing manager of BBC Home Entertainment, said that the level of exposure this story has already achieved is comparable to that obtained with the term of the Simon. We believe the interest in this title warrants it being rush released and gives us a perfect start to the Doctor Who's 30th anniversary year. Whether his expectations will be realised remains to be seen. It wasn't. Uh, despite the oh. sad news about the non-return of the 10th Planet Tower 4, the BBC are still planning to release a 10th Planet tape at some point during 1993. Uh, I think it came mm. out in 2000, I think. The box 10 with uh, Attack of the Cybermen. Uh, Mordrin Undead and Yaztecs came 10th and 15th respectively in their Gallup chart based on sales in the opening week. The seven week, however, they fell dramatically, Mordrin to 142 and the Aztecs out of the top 200 altogether. This performance is significantly worse than the previous releases and fans are already looking for factors to blame for the poor showing. The Aztecs' disastrous sales are generally being attributed to the fact it was released at the same time as it's showing on UK Gold. Although many fans do not have satellite, the pirate network is as healthy and vibrant as ever when it comes to making a, quote, copy for a friend, unquote. And this may have well damaged sales. Many fans, of course, have already pristine copies from BSB's 1990 transmissions. This doesn't bode well for BBC's decision uh, to rush release the Demon straight after its BBC 2 repeat. Had the BBC seized the opportunity to release the story during 1992, and they would have had a surefire winner, potentially outselling all but the term of Cyberman. Nevertheless, many fans are grateful to the BBC for saving them 12 quid. <laughs> Mordred Undead has less excuses, while many disparate factors, including the cover artwork and the number of Davison releases already available, are being bandied around with gay abandon. Mm. It would appear that BBC Video have now reached a watershed, hailed by many uh, as a classic on its transmission in 1993, yeah. and topping many season polls. The story's reputation these days is less of a classic and more of an enjoyable but run-of-the-mill romp 
with such a predominance of Doctor Who releases, Doctor Who stories now available on video, it, it would appear that the potential purchaser is now beginning to pick and choose. A further factor related to this is that with such a volume of titles available, any new releases tend to get lost on the shelves, with only dedicated fan purchases in the first week pushing these tapes into the charts. Time will tell whether these tapes turn out to be steady sellers. It's interesting, Mark, that we've reached a point where Tomb of the Cybermen was returned the previous year, you know, wild acclaim and excitement and whatever, and, and people were, you know, talking excitedly about the story and what it might bode for the future in terms of return-missing episodes. And then we get down to this point where it's just a grubby discussion about a, <laughs> a capitalist transaction between buyer and seller. Maybe we could save 12 quid or maybe we can't because the market has been flooded. It's interesting, isn't it? They tried to do this with the, the TV movie. Remember the TV, when the TV movie came out, they, mm. they put it on video first. And I don't think... They had because they had to do edits. They didn't get it out as quick as like the timing between the video and the TV transmission wasn't that long. Mm. But maybe the BBC video could have said, "Hey, look, let's get the de- the demons out." But then again, if fans knew it was on TV, they probably would have said, "I'll just tape off the telly." So yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you're a completist and you like having your shelf looking the same, you know, with similar looking designs, fonts, whatever, you know, spend a few pounds on a, on a blank tape. You know, maybe later when you can better afford it, you can pick up a copy if there's any left on the shelves, but it's interesting. Yeah. Remember the, the, those uh, colour tapes? They had the little uh, paint on the spines to show that they'd been uh, colour restored? Yes. Well, um, they were exciting times as well because that technology, I mean, obviously the colourisation wasn't perfect. No. Nowhere near perfect, but to have the stories sort of in the same ballpark as what they were when they were originally transmitted it was was great and it also you know you it's wonderful that these sort of techniques were either came up with by fans or at least utilized by fans before they sort of became a sort of a more mass-produced or mass-used uh you know piece of technology because you didn't sort of see that necessarily with other vintage archival television, you know, the stories that were originally transmitted in, in colour that only existed in black and white, for instance, did, 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 were they sort of dealt with in that same sort of way with technology used to re, re, recover what was lost? I don't think so. And the great thing about those colour restorations was that they never stopped working on them. Every no. time there's a new bit of technology, what sort of coincided with a new release? <laughs> So whether it be on yeah, the VHS, which was you know acceptable, the DVDs of those where they've been vid-fired and lots more digital uh, equipment at their hands, they could do more. And now the yeah. Blu-rays, I mean, crikey, the Terror of the Autons on that is brilliant. Yeah, they didn't rest on their laurels. They kept on going. So I'm um, very grateful for the work they're doing on those. Looking at DWB 109, um, as we have been, it does include this... Seminal moment, I think, in Doctor Who history. Headed, J&T leaves BBC video. Mm. There's a lovely photo of J&T looking rather stern while uh, Sylvester McCoy, a bearded Sylvester McCoy, mm. uh, looks uh, delighted. Unemployed? Well, <laughs> yes. He, he is an actor. By definition, yeah. they're mostly unemployed, aren't they? It begins. Much speculation surrounds BBC video's decision not to re-employ John Nathan Turner, whose six-month contract ended recently. The DWB seems to know the ins and outs of um, John Nathan Turner's employment with BBC Video. He's mm. on royalties. He's on a six-month contract. <laughs> the only person who knows anything about my contract with my employer is me. 
So yes. <laughs> people will, anyone will leak, apparently, in Doctor Who fandom. Um, all right. So many of next year's specials now appear to be in jeopardy, even though much of the material has already been recorded. Various accumulating factors are thought to have led to BBC Enterprises all but dispensing with Nathan Turner's services, not least the massive fan outcry, which met a leaked provisional schedule of 1993 video releases published in Doctor Who magazine, TV Zone and DWB. All three magazines and David Jackson at BBC Video were subsequently inundated with letters protesting against further years tapes and pointlessly ludicrous patchwork releases. With the possibility of a blanket boycott by their consumers looming, it seems that BBC Video have had no option but to exit many of the projects. Whilst the links for the Colin Baker years, the Reign of Terror and the Invasion have been completed, of these it is likely that only the latter will be released at £19.99. With Peter Davison still awaiting delivery of tapes from his era, from which he was to have selected his own choice of clips, just prior to Nathan Turner's contract expiring, it is doubtful that the year's tapes for the latter three Doctors will proceed. The situation is made all the more confusing owing to BBC Video's new policy of announcing forthcoming titles no more than three months in advance to avoid tentative 12-month schedules being leaked prematurely. This move will, ironically, deprive them of the valuable feedback which presumably alerted them to fan feeling about 1993's plethora of specials. One special tape which is guaranteed, however, is the 30th anniversary twin pack for which David Jackson will draw on much of the material already shot by Nathan Turner and then fill out himself, reportedly with the help of monster author Adrian Rigglesford. In 1993, there was no double tape pack of an anniversary special, but there was obviously that um, 30 Years in the TARDIS that Kevin Davis did, but that didn't come out on the year afterwards. I mean, they're saying that there was footage shot. I don't think there was any footage shot on that. Somebody on the interwebs can uh, find that out for us because I I don't remember hearing anything or something. It's certainly not leaking. You'd have heard about it in intervening years or seen, you know, clips or whatever. After all this time, Jane T has been, well, well, the, the article indicates it. Two things. He was either booted or his contract expired. So it's one or the other. Vale JNT at BBC Video. Yeah, but then he comes back in November 93 to do Dimensions in Time. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like Dracula, he's not quite ever dead. There's a, a comments slash editorial here from Gary Lee. Ooh. Rob, would you like to uh, read that out? Yes, Gary Lee keeps on punching. Comments. John Nathan Turner's relentless grip on all things Doctor Who finally appears to be weakening. Certainly, his creative input is at an end. And so it is unlikely that he'll want to retain any sort of advisory capacity to Marvel's Doctor Who magazine, a position still open to him. That just leaves the Tainum lecture tours. But whilst the guest lists are always, for the most part, impressive, at the most recent event at Cambridge, concern was voiced at the poorer-than-expected turnout of attendees. With a promising future involvement organising the BBC's corporate roadshows, Nathan Turner will hopefully soon discover that there is life outside of Doctor Who. It is appropriate that news of his apparent departure from BBC Enterprises should coincide with the revelation that John Burt is to replace Michael Checkland as BBC Director General three months earlier than expected, thus inevitably hastening the speed of Jonathan Powell's departure as controller of BBC One. Already, fans are hailing the apparent departure of the two people many consider to have done the most irreparable damage of all to Doctor Who's reputation as a sure sign that whatever the future may bring for the series, it can only be rosier. It remains to be seen how long it will be before the DWAS finally comes to the realisation that John Nathan Turner is no longer producer of Doctor Who. A recent issue of CT put together by stand-in editor Michael Proctor and which contained a critical comment piece on his unending association with Doctor Who was delayed at the printers for two weeks to enable the DWAS exec to apologise in advance and to tell him how much they regretted the items slipping through. Oh, wow. Yes. If Michael Proctor would like to... uh, (laughs) 
reach us at 42 to doomsday.gmail.com and give his side of what exactly happened. We'd love to hear from him. Look, we we'll might leave it there for the moment uh, in terms of this potted history of VHS releases. But essentially what happened was the Colin Baker years did come out and apparently sales on that were so bad in 94 that the um, the range nearly got cancelled. But uh, look, what, Are sorry? unsold copies of those being uh, buried along with the copies of the E.T. Atari cartridge, Mark, in the same location? Uh, and also probably being buried along with all the action figures of all the Phase 4 Marvel films that haven't been sold yet. <laughs> Plenty of Eternals figures if you want to get your hands on those. <laughs> No, uh, no. <laughs> it's a very hard no. Essentially, you know, in 1996, the range was suspended due to the imminent release of the TV movie. And as a result of that, they actually deleted all these titles and, and um, including The Hand of Fear, which I think was only out for like two weeks and they got deleted. There was a controversy. Uh, mm. A lot of people, I think, seem to have missed out on The Hand of Fear. So mm. the VHS range uh, sort of limped on. Till about 2003, I think it was. Did they cross over with the, with the DVDs? Was there... Were their DVDs being released at the same time as Yeah, I VHS? think they were. The problem with the VHSs, which, which I think you've alluded to before, is that they left the not-much-love stories till last. Yeah. As opposed to that they released, you know, all the good stuff first, and then they obviously changed that strategy around. Look, end of the day, they're all going to come out. It doesn't matter. It's like people bitching and moaning about season 24s. You knew it was going to come out at some point. There's no point <laughs> bitching and moaning about it. <laughs> the inevitable disappointment. asked for feedback from our listeners about their memories of the Doctor Who VHSs. So we've been inundated yet again, Rob, so we might just whiz through these, see what our wonderful listeners say. Eh? This one is from uh, Johnny. The first UK releases were all omnibus editions. I used to play guest games where the cliffhanger was. Oh, that's, that's a good idea. I always presumed the end of Death to Daleks 3 was when the Daleks were about to go around the corner and the Doctor was trying to work out how to open a door to the city. I don't think I ever watched an omnibus edition. Not even, say, really? um, Brandon Morbius, which is the classic example of cutting something down to incomprehensibility near enough. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. again, I would have had to have actually you know, been bothered to buy it, but I wasn't. So oh, okay. Never had a chance. Mm, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, the next one is uh, tweeted at us by Dr. George Sandifer Smith, uh, who says, My first Doctor Who tape was Death to the Daleks, episodic as broadcast, not the earlier omnibus edition. Oh. Uh, uh, Dr. George uh, Sandifer Smith is uh, working on a project at the moment uh, that, is, uh, that they've written um, the following for, uh, titled City of Wax. First on tape, my first route, rearing silver against Solaresque brickwork, striking its green eye against the dome, pyrotechnic greedy. The blood on the rocks was crispy bacon. Shifting shale was flower-coated. The planet was a kitchen demanding a manual crank as the white rounds went out. The maze defended itself with glittering zombies. Again, again. The outer eye is a twisting mirror. Armour, no defence now against spears, ritual, great pyramids. Wind the reel and baffle your friends with silver and black screaming. Conspiracy. I feel like I've been mentally enlarged <laughs> in that mark. <laughs> Well, given how, how rapidly diminishing IQs at the moment due to age, good, I'd say they've sort of been enlarged a bit. This one's from James. Uh, he says, The Five Doctors, I remember it so vividly. I was watching the TV in my parents' room and the intro The intro started with its first Doctor saying goodbye to season for the intro and the video just went all flickery. And, you know... Uh, the next one is from James H, who says, Rented Robots of Death over and over and over from the library. First one I bought was Day of the Daleks and used to love it when Doctor Who magazine published the entire year's schedule in one go. So 
so I could start saving and planning, which I wanted to see most urgently. Fantastic. Uh, this one's from Gareth. Snake Dance was my first Doctor Who video after Hazley remembered repeats in 1992 and Dimensions in Time. It was my first proper Doctor Who full stop. Hearing the Howl theme for the first time was very, very exciting. It's a banger. And it is a banger. Still great to this day. Yeah. And the Taran Wood Beast uh, lifts its claws and says, My first VHS was Death to the Daleks in 1992. Aged seven. Lovely. bastard. This one is from Lee Moon. Uh, in 1985, and he saw the seeds of death on the shelf. It was very expensive. I was a student and couldn't afford it. Didn't even have a video player. It sounded like a Young Ones episode. Have you got a video? <laughs> uh, it was tantalising as it was so close to watching my, my favourite Doctor again. Again, two years later, and it was released again at a lower price than when VHS was cheaper. And I bought it as I'd rented a video player. My flatmates were out, and with a bottle of wine and a shitload of sweets, I watched it in one sitting fantastic i remember the excitement for tomb i was counting down the days i decided to pre-order from a shop and ran across the road nearly getting knocked over <laughs> christ i thought after all these years of waiting to see a bloody lost classic and i nearly get killed i also remember you could make suggestions to my local library about books and videos for them to buy i used to suggest a few doctor who videos take them home and then with my mate's video player used to copy them not all, just the ones I thought were so-so, like The Chase. I remember while watching The Romans, I stopped the recording as I thought, well, I won't be watching that pile of crap again. <laughs> Didn't want to waste my tape. To this day, as I've never bought it or watched it again. Wow. Actually, on that score, um, my local library, I've joined a library at long last, um, mm. they had a Jodie Whittaker box uh, season release on DVD. And I just kept on walking. I saw it on the shelf and just kept on walking, I thought. I think no. it was um, Flux from just memory. Flux. Oh. Remember Flux, Mark? Yep. Oh, dear. Okay, moving on. Will Hadcroft said, I watched the original TV movie VHS release of The Robots of Death as frequently as possible when it first came out. It was so good. Script, acting sets, costumes, model work, secondary control room, Dudley score, all top draw. And remembered it all from when I was seven. It's the stories with the striking visuals that you really remember when you, you know, from yeah. when you were a child. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a good story as well. Oh, yes. MJ Fowl says, I was younger than 10 when the first VHS was released. Don't think we got a VHS player until about 86, 87. So I never saw Out of Time Who until the early 90s, Colour Repeat of the of the Demons. It was a DVD that range that really energised my love of classic Who. Someone named Mando, and then an Irish name that I'm not going to insult them by attempting to pronounce, says, My first VHS was the £9.99 Revenge of the Cybermen, which must have been 86 or 87. I loved it. Watched it over and over. I was so afraid of anyone stealing it, I wrote my address and everything inside the plastic cover as if anyone would nick a Doctor Who VHS. Years later, I got Tom Baker to sign the paper inlay. He signed it to Tamanis from your greatest fan, Tom Baker. I still have it and still love it just as much. It's interesting that DWB was saying, you know, earlier in this, uh, in, in our recording, that fans, you know, wouldn't be necessarily watching tapes over and over again. But we've seen multiple times now just looking at these tweets and, 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 and notes to us that, you know, people when they were kids were prepared to sit down and watch a story again and again and again. It's interesting. Andy Taylor says, My first tape was Terror of the Zygons for my 12th birthday. What a great choice. Followed by Talons and Robots of Death with birthday money all of which were absolute favourites. Kept the covers after setting the tapes to the tip, <laughs> with a few exceptions, Dalek and the Trial Tins. Yes, they came out in 93, didn't they? Yes. Uh, John McCall says, still have quite a few of them, but no longer have a machine to play them. VHS is supposed to be coming back a bit, like vinyl and audio tapes, isn't it? Yeah. It looks, why? It looks like, why? Yeah, why would know. you? Don't, don't, look, don't do it, people. Don't. No. Don't. It, it just looked like gravy on a 
<laughs> on a high def television are terrible on that point Gary Finney Zare says some of the early black and white releases were very poor quality prints the Daleks was very ropey things improved dramatically once the restoration team became involved yeah spot on with that yeah they were pretty bad actually I remember they used to say these are the best quality prints we could get but I think they were just basically the, the, the ones sitting on the shelves and even like the web planet what they did was on that VHS tape some clearance issue with some something I think one of the, the music or something and that's what they did was they basically edited it what they did was they put the the end titles for the American compilation that was shown on the PBS station. So these fonts, all of a sudden, it looked really grainy. Then all of a sudden, this really bizarre font came through and it was crazy mm. days. T got involved, I think, with the War Machines. Things dramatically improved, absolutely. Would that have been after J&T got the flick? Yeah, well after, he, yeah. He, yeah. Wouldn't have, he wouldn't have countenanced having to deal with fans no, no, no. God, even professionals. Uh, Philip Monaghan says uh, they, at some point when he was younger, we hit some mall leaving Baltimore. The store was adjacent to a tiny play area. They had lots of tapes. My parents wouldn't let me buy the 10th planet. Probably just as well. I had no knowledge of the missing episodes at that stage. Uh, Philip then goes on to say, I remember walking into a video store to find they had a huge rack of Doctor Who tapes. Uh, didn't know what to make of Kinder. Um, I think that's probably fair. I don't think. <laughs> Mark Webster says, it was always exciting when a video was released. It was the only way to legally own the episodes instead of relying on multi-generation copies from abroad. I think he's having a go at me there. Mm. Whose quality sometime wasn't great. I worked in the Virgin Mega stores at the time, so knew the release dates. I very naughtily bought Tomb of the Cybermen on a Saturday before the release date as we got the stock delivered early so it could be processed for Monday. My most anticipated release was the special edition of the Five Doctors. I couldn't wait for that and didn't disappoint. Great days and memories. Yeah, that was actually pretty good, that Five Doctors redux packaged together with uh, King's Demons, which is the only way you're going to sell that turkey, wasn't it, right? <laughs> Tony Ingram uh, says, I started buying the VHS tapes in 1985 though i can't recall what was my first i also started taping the ongoing show in 1985 from attack of the cybermen part one i still have the complete bbc video range in my earliest home recordings and they still play tony ward said i had rented uh betamax when bbc enterprises announced they would be releasing their archive only on vhs this forced me to invest in a vhs machine arguably this bbc decision was the beginning of the end for the technically superior betamax system yes yeah, i prefer on, the then. reason that it was porn <laughs> We'll move on from that one. When the double VHS of Dead Planet was released in the UK at 19 quid, I couldn't part with the money quick enough, although it was relatively expensive back then. However, only having one TV and living with my mum, not a Doctor Who fan, I had to wait till she went to bed to play it oh so quietly, and I loved it. I did that for the TV movie. Everyone in the house went to bed, and I played it at about midnight, and it was very quiet. This is from Keith Tudor. I loved collecting the VHS tapes, as it was a great way to see some of those stories for the first time. I loved the double pack of the Sontaran experiment in Genesis of the Daleks and also love the TARDIS tin for the Trial of a Time Lord which I still have you could choose which Doctor was on the bottom I went for the pack with Colin Baker on the bottom as he was in them I also have the Shard of VHS tape complete with script I knew somebody who bought every Trial of a Time Lord uh, tin with each Doctor that's been sold at about $100 in Australia back then. That was big money in 1993. Yeah. And he dropped about 700 bucks on them. Would that person still have them by any chance? I, I don't know. Remember the Daleks 10 as well? I think had different images on the un underneath as well. I yeah. can't remember if he got those ones, but he definitely had seven of those tins. Joe Fairbairn says, such memories flying back. We had a lodger staying 
while he was doing his degree in quantum physics. Not even joking. He loved John Pertwee, so they were the videos we saw, and it blew my mind. Paul Russell says, first VHS story I got as a birthday present was Revenge of the Cybermen. Must have been around 86. I watched it endlessly. I'm sure it was around Swing Out Sister uh, release Breakout was in the charts, and uh, the Kate Bush re-release of Wuthering Heights and the whole story. Yeah, that was 86. I was all struck from watching uh, Pyramids of Mars, Brain of Morbius, and Spearhead from Space, and Death of the Daleks. It was a very exciting process of actually getting to watch these amazing Doctor Who stories I'd read about and drooled over images in Doctor Who Weekly slash monthly, yes. Mark mm. Belsom says, the first VHS I bought was Robots of Death. I'm, I'm seeing Robots of Death come up <laughs> repeatedly here. The edited version. Then we had the episodic format released. I thought at last we were getting proper Doctor Who. Then after that, I popped down to my local WH Smiths or Woolworths to pick up the latest release. The biggest excitement was when Tomb of the Cybermen was found. Got to the store before it was even open. Brett Gabbett says, the release is got so much better once they stopped editing the episodes and finally got around to presenting them in episodic format. I remember at the time wondering why I could pay 25 to $30 for a release uh, when you could just record them off TV, but then the extended Curse of Fenric came out and had to have it. Then the Hartnell years, Troughton years, Cyberman years, and then Tragedy, Doctor Who ended on PBS before I could get them all recorded. Uh, they were in movie format anyway, and I missed the cliffhangers, so I started buying as many as I could. That's right, the Curse of Fenric came out, didn't it? In, uh, was it 91? That was the extended yes. edition, didn't it? Yes, yeah, that, right, I think yeah. that caused, I recall that causing a lot of excitement, and deservedly so. It's a, it's a great story. Now, Mark Hevingham said, we had our first VCR, a Betamax, October 17th, 1983. That's terribly ex- uh, exact. Mm. This was just in time for the Five Doctors that November 25th. We had a filling station approximately 10 minutes walk from us that rented VHS Beta and V2000. Oh, the yeah. Beta section had such titles as Blade Runner, Condor Man, and Revenge of the Cybermen. <laughs> Condor Man. <laughs> <laughs> we must have rented that tape five or six times and then later on Brain of Morbius. The man told my dad that we were the only people renting these and if he wanted to buy he would have to do them both for 40 quid which dad laughed at and declined fast forward to 1988 and i was at work age 22 and bought my own ferguson vhs from of all places radio rentals my first two purchases were a view to a kill and spearhead from space i bought the entire range as they were released then again on laserdisc only three titles from encore entertainment dvd and blu-ray Sadly, we moved the VHS collection into the garage in 2004, which was quite warm and turned out to be damp. I ended up skipping over 3,000 tapes, including the Who VHS range in 2007. (sighs) My other exposure was from 1984 onward with the video circuit. I'm sure... Mark, you might. Anyway, uh, was in full swing and gems would appear from the US, Australia, usually cut but good quality, and New Zealand, where they were cut into 50-minute segments with commercial breaks. As each official release came along, we would marvel at the quality. The silly cuts... Morbius and Pyramids being offenders, and watch the bookcase shelves begin to sag. I used to create my own covers by cutting up DWM, sacrilege, <laughs> and using <laughs> white or coloured letter set on black paper, then going to the local protoprint and getting them on glossy stock. I remember pointing a camcorder at the moon base tele snaps and then editing them as a recon. How enterprising is this young, this fellow, Mark? He's very right talented. Into it. Uh, halcyon days when you could wait 10 years to see your favourite tale, whereas now it's click and watch. Yeah. So very true, Mark. Uh, Steve Scotland says, I remember getting sharded, being very excited to see a new Tom Baker story so long after his departure. It came with a script and a book which fitted inside the case. Needless to say, I loved it, especially Professor Chronotis Milk, one lump or two. And 
and maybe there was a second tape with an interview. I bought it from the big HMV in Edinburgh. No, it was only one tape, mate, unfortunately, and uh, that would have been actually pretty good if they actually did some sort of making of it at the end of it. Uh, J&T wasn't enterprising enough to, uh, to to think of that at all. Dwayne Bunny, uh, co-host of the Sirens of Audio uh, podcast and the recent uh, Janet Fielding and Sophie Aldred conventions here in Australia, writes, I can still remember the train ride in from Richmond to the ABC shop in the QV building in Sydney to pick up the Daleks. I lovingly stroked the covers of both cases. It was a double VHS release while looking at the images and blurbs all the way back home. That would have been interesting for the other people on the train, <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> and then watching that incredible first episode for the very first time. The cliffhanger to the dead planet still ranks for me as one of the very best of all time. Agreed. Yeah, spot Agreed. on. Mark, we'll wrap up our listeners' uh, responses with a couple of uh, uh, emails. One is from Darren Jordan, who says, We live in a golden age where Doctor Who's glorious past is more accessible than ever through streaming, downloads, DVDs, and Blu-ray box sets. Once upon a time, though, it wasn't so simple. There were all sorts of pirate networks back then with fourth or fifth or even sixth generation copied video cassettes sourced from tape TV broadcasts shared amongst fans, each new copy further reducing the quality of the visual until it was only slightly above the level of abstract shapes set to a warped soundtrack. A number of fans created reconstructions of missing episodes asking for you to mail them a blank video cassette that they then used to copy a recon from their original source before posting it back to you. Then boom, suddenly the home video market exploded and we were well and truly away. I can't even calculate the number of hours I spent in the Miranda ABC shop crushing on the girl behind the counter and drooling over the latest VHS releases that I didn't yet have the money to buy. For me, the older black and white stories that I've never seen were the highlight purchases. When the Dalek double release of the Chase and the Remembrance came out in the special limited edition, Tin, I almost melted. Getting the double video release of the War Games was pure bliss. The surviving episodes from Lost Stories released with new linking material were also treats for me, particularly the Hartnell and Troughton years the Cybermen and Dalek early years. The Tom Baker and Colin Baker years releases were also unexpected surprises seeing the stars come back to reminisce watching clips from their classic stories. The most incredible release in that regard though was Sharda, all available footage strung together with new linking material by Tom Baker himself and sold with a complete Douglas Adams script book in book form. Of all my memories of the VHS range, though, my favourite was when they found the first episode of The Crusade. I was working by then and had to sneak out of the office early in order to get to the ABC shop before it closed on the day of the release. I got off at Town Hall Station and began racing from there through the underground beneath the QV building. From the corner of my eye, I saw someone moving in the same direction as me. (laughs) I took to the stairs two at a time. So did he. I raced into the ABC shop minutes before it was due to close. He did too. I moved toward the back of the store where the Doctor Who range was displayed. My shadow came right along with me. We literally both reached out and simultaneously grabbed a copy of the Crusade at exactly the same time. Holding a copy each, we turned to each other, both displaying broad grins as we held aloft our prizes. Yes, we live in a golden age now where the good doctor's glorious past is more accessible than ever. But it isn't too hard to get a little nostalgic from time to time about those grand treasure hunts of years gone by. A lot of nostalgia there in terms of actually going to a shop mm. on the day of things getting released and you actually would buy it. Uh, I miss hunt. walking, Mark. I just yeah. miss using my legs. <laughs> Yeah, but now I can't think of anything worse going to the bloody shops. <laughs> I just want to sit on my ass and order it online. It's terrible. Closing this out, we've got an email here from Jamie Noakes. Uh, he says, at the beginning of 1992, I started collecting Doctor Who on VHS. On Monday, the 4th of May, 1992, Bank Holiday Monday, I went to Woolworths in Littlehampton with my birthday money and bought two brand new releases. Couldn't wait to get them home to watch them. There was so much excitement around Terminus Sidemen and I bought that tape. However, I was more intrigued by the poster displaying the claws of Axos that I'd seen in HMV and Paul 
Portsmouth on the 30th of April the previous week. The Golden Aliens had a classical Roman Greek look and a homegrown spaceship. It was the first John Pertwee story I, I bought. It was a psychedelic delight. I still have the tape. It's been my absolute favourite third Doctor adventure ever since. Other Doctor Who VHS releases were issued on Bank Holiday Monday too. Bank Holiday Monday is a is Doctor Who day in my house. So many memories of being home from college slash work and taking a walk in the sun down to Woolworths to get the latest Doctor Who release and then insist on watching it as soon as I got home. My girlfriend hates those days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, regards, Jamie Noakes. These missives from our listeners, Mark, Mark, and thank you to everyone who's taken the time to uh, to send us something. Uh, we really appreciate it. Just goes to show the impact of releasing Doctor Who on uh, you know VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. I mean, with the demise of network, there's still so much television vintage television in the archives that may never see the light of day. I mean, the companies that own the rights don't want to spend the money on something that will sell so very little. Mm. Uh, so unless there's somehow a wholesale dumping on streaming, there, there's just so much that we'll never see, uh, which is a, which is just, a, frankly, a damn shame. So to read these, you know, really excited reminiscences from fans is great because it just shows the impact of the VHS range. And for all J&T's faults, he, you know, he was at the – he was – at the start anyway, you know, pushing for these things to be, these stories to be released. And even though you might want to question his motives and some of his choices, much like his, you know, Rain as actual producer, uh, I think that, you know, we can take our, our hats off to J&T in some regard as, as someone who helped, you know, push the range to a wider audience or at least the fans who can, you know, sit back, who sat back and appreciated them and loved them. Just by having Doctor Who available to watch at your fingertips was really exciting back then. Now it's sort of a bit like, oh, yeah, get the box set delivered, put it in the player, because <laughs> it's so easy to do now. I haven't cracked open any of the Blu-ray releases because there's just so much stuff to watch. This is self-evident. We all know this. There's just so much occupying our free time in terms of just, you know, television. Just But it's just it's just hard. But back then, you know, you, you really did make the effort to, you know, watch what you'd purchased. Thank you very much for sharing all your thoughts and memories. Really enjoyed it, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this little potted history of the BBC Rage through the eyes of Doctor Who fandom back in the day. Well, we hope you enjoyed that, what would you say, trip down magnetic tape lane? Yes. Unlike the DVD range, the series sort of entered... (laughs) ended anticlimactically but anyway it's a fascinating period in mm. the show's history i mean the bbc or bbc enterprises had from basically day one of the series monetized uh, the show but mm. they really uh, latched onto you know the, the the new technology with um with vhs and got it out to the masses and made you know a reasonable amount of coins so it's a fascinating 10 15 years of the show's history uh, with regards to the release of all existing episodes to the public it's still the gift that keeps on giving isn't it the vhs range was completed dvds were completed now the blu-ray box sets are coming up but i think mm. that'll be it after that given the way physical media is going especially in this country with mm. uh, the house of mouse uh, uh, he's basically pulled up stumps and said after Guardians of the Galaxy 3, it's no more. Yeah. So yeah. those people hoping for Song of the South on a, <laughs> on a <laughs> you know, physical media, you're all out of luck. I do have a VHS copy on Pirate if you want to buy it off me. I'll put it on eBay now. <laughs> oh. You'll get cancelled before you even fit in send on that one, mate. <laughs>
dear. Move on from that. Now let's do a bit of housekeeping slash plugging. The first one is the Sirens of Audio. They did the uh, events in Sydney and uh, Tasmania with uh, Janet Fielding and Sophie Aldred a few months ago. Well, they're back with a new uh, guest, Katie Manning. She is uh, coming back to Australia. She'll be appearing in uh, Sydney, aka Sin City, on the uh, Saturday 14th of October. 2023, of course, at the uh, Club Parramatta. We'll put a link into the, the show notes there for those tickets. But of course, Katie Manning will be appearing in Melbourne on the uh, Sunday, the 22nd of October at the Treacy Centre in the Avenue in Parkville. So the links to those events in the blogs. I'm actually hoping to get to the uh, Katie Manning event in Melbourne. You're going to cozy up to Katie and say, welcome back to Australia? I think she'll hug anybody, even me. So, you Ooh. know. And then the second thing I'd like to plug tonight, a while ago, Alex and John from the Longing for Long Leads. Oh, yes. Remembering Black Blackpool Books, doing a new one about the Klangochlin exhibition. I'll be talking. What's that word again, Mark? Klangochlin exhibition in North Wales. I'll be talking to them when that comes out. So Alex and a chap called Mark Dunn have been involved in a project called Evolution of the Toy Dalek. Essentially, this is a book that follows, as the title says, the evolution of the Dalek toys from the 60s all the way up to now. So from the quirky, inaccurate 60s toys to today's visions of perfection. Look, I've had a quick flick through it today. And it was amazing just to watch the tentative forays into merchandising in the 60s. The Palatoy Daleks, the Daypole Daleks, character options. It's free and it's excellent. So thank you guys for um, putting that out there. And it's a very, very high quality publication. And Rob, what would you like to plug? I'd like to thank you for your indulgence, Mark. As some listeners might know, I've written some Lethbridge Stewart spin-off books for Candy Jar uh, Books in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, my most recent one, which is uh, titled Birds of Passage, which is a quasi-sequel to Remembrance of the Daleks, fully approved by Ben Aronovich, came out uh, in wide release. Uh, I think for about a year it was coming out from Candy Jar exclusively, but now you can make your way to your local Amazon outlet and pick up a copy that way. A lot of fun writing it. Uh, very grateful for the opportunity, but it is now available. And I understand that the sequel is imminent. Of course, didn't write it. Birds of Prey is the sequel. Uh, mm. So I'll be definitely uh, picking a copy of that up when it comes out. But Birds of Passage was my latest uh, book for Candy Jar. Very privileged. And uh, if you uh, want to have a hunt down, please do so. Uh, Aaron's Collectibles, the place in Melbourne to get all your pop culture, science fiction, fantasy, horror memorabilia. Aaron's Collectibles is the place to be. Where is Aaron's Collectibles, Mark? It is in the salubrious eastern suburbs of Melbourne mm. on one main street in Blackburn. Of course, they're on uh, Facebook and everything like that as well. Getting new stock in all the time. Conditions are hard so basically people are selling their merchandise <laughs> and uh, Aaron's shop is expanding look you'll be posting stuff up online in terms of uh, new acquisitions so yes keep a lookout on the socials and for the lay people out there Aaron is spelt A-R-O-N apostrophe yes. S if everybody can stop ringing him about the hoarder tapes as well because it'll be nice <laughs> yes he'd like to actually do some work and he's, so would his staff so Rob we'll be back next month we will be back next month Mark I'm actually looking for oh, I look forward to every episode but I'm looking forward to this one particularly because it was my idea looking forward to uh dabbling back into classic who hashtag real doctor who i'll be having my jaffa cakes and having a cup of tea watching some classic 70s uh, tom baker it was trending a couple of days ago i always get worried when i see tom baker trending He's ancient, mate. Properly ancient. For a man who, who drank that much in the 70s, mm. the fact that he's still alive, I take my hat off to him. It's all that liquor kept him preserved. So until next month. And happy anniversary to us. I've been Rob. And I've been Mark. Keep, Keep watching. watching. 
You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon. A Doctor Who exclusive. <laughs> Controller of Radio 4, grinning all over his face. He recognises this one. Starting today and until the end of this week, Michael, a Doctor Who competition exclusive to 1FM. Unearthed recently in a dark and forgotten film vault in Hong Kong. A classic Doctor Who story. It's in black and white. The sets shake. People act badly. It's perfectly. It's called Tomb of the Cybermen. Previously missing for 25 years since that original transmission way back in 1967. BBC Video are rush releasing it. Well, they're getting it out by the 5th of May, but we have 25 copies to give away prior to the official release date. Be a success at parties. Go around saying, I'm not the Tomb of the Cybermen. And, and people will say, I'm not the Tomb of the Cybermen. We actually got 25 sets of this. Not only that, but one lucky 1FM listener will win a complete set of 30 Doctor Who videos. Imagine it, and an original bit of the TARDIS that we hacked off before they flogged it to some poor unsuspecting soul in the charity auction. We've got all this stuff to get... Imagine it. I'm going to be the TARDIS. All that stuff. 25 winners will get a year's subscription to Doctor Who magazine, which I laughed at initially until I saw a copy. It's very good. One of the best fanzines in the business. So, what we've got is 25 copies to give away of the Tomb of the Cybermen. Not only that, but also one lucky 1FM listener will win a complete set of 30 Doctor Who videos and an original bit of the TARDIS. All 25 winners will get a year's subscription to Doctor Who magazine. We've got four questions. Here's the first. What date was the very first episode of Doctor Who transmitted. The date of the first episode of Doctor Who. When was it transmitted? Stay tuned around this time or any other, all this week, because it could happen between 11 and 12.30. We've got three more questions, and if you're having any problems with the answers, help us at hand, because the new issue of Doctor Who magazine, along with the details of the competition, has a rather nice, attractive photograph of my bad self. Real wild it is 10 minutes after midday. Day two of our exclusive Doctor Who video competition. Now, BBC Video are nice people, and they offered us a bit of the TARDIS. And I thought, ah, oh, it'll be one of those crabby old little bits, you know, a splinter or something from the bottom of the TARDIS. What they've given us is this. Isn't this great? If you're a Doctor Who fan, take a load of this. You know the set inside the TARDIS with all those magical lighting up and lighting down bits of gizmo that get them around the time warp space continuum? We've got a bit of that. It's about four feet wide, it's circular, it would be made of perspex if it was ordinary, but being Doctor Who it's probably made of malignite or something like that. This is going to you if you're a winner. Unearthed in Hong Kong recently, a classic Doctor Who story, Tomb of the Cybermen, starring the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton, has been missing for 25 years since its original transmission in 1967. BBC Video are rush releasing it, bless their cotton socks, on the 5th of May, but we have 25 copies to give away prior to the official release date. Not only that, but if you're lucky, you'll get the complete set of 30 Doctor Who videos and this original bit of the TARDIS. All 25 winners, of course, will get a year's subscription to Doctor Who magazine, which I'm aligned yesterday. I called it a fanzine. It's not. It's not the kind of thing which is just a fanzine for the sake of it. It's a very detailed and in-depth magazine about Doctor Who, about the past, the present, and the future. And it's better than a fanzine. Uh, we asked you the first question yesterday. Now here's the second. Which pop star appeared in the 1983 Doctor Who story, Enlightenment? 
which pop star appeared in the 1983 Doctor Who story, Enlightenment? More questions to come. If you're having any problems, well, helps at hand in the new issue of Doctor Who magazine, The Gentlest of Plugs. and it's fabulous and the quality's naff but the stuff that happens on the screen this is the third day of our exclusive doctor who competition it's your chance to win a copy missing for 25 years sounds like travis missing for 25 years bbc video releasing the tomb of the cybermen on the 5th of may we've got 25 copies to give away prior to release date you can be the first to see this classic story from the vaults of 1967 starring patrick trouton you'll also win a subscription to the splendid doctor who magazine and an exclusive tomb of the cybermen poster this is new which will not be available in the shops plus of course one fabo lucky radio one fan of doctor who will get a big chunk of the original TARDIS wall. This is the stuff, you know the, the, the lights that used to go throb, throb, throb when the doctor wasn't feeling too well? This is what we've got here. The first two questions were on Tuesday and Wednesday. Now here's the third. Which two writers who wrote many TV series together in the 60s and 70s created the Cybermen? We don't want the script writer necessarily of any one particular series. We want the two writers who created the Cybermen. The details on how to win and also, a rerun of the questions tomorrow.